Guys, welcome to episode number 403 of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I really appreciate you guys' support. We're going to have a great episode here with Greg Krogh of Mogollon Rim Outfitters. We're going to be talking about the Nevada guided mule deer draw. I want to remind you guys that the Go Hunt Insider has all of the draw odds for all the western states, but particularly in this episode that we're talking about now, Uh, They have the guided mule deer draw odds compared to the regular, if you're just putting in for the regular draw, and you can see if you go on there the difference in going in the guided pool as as opposed to going in the DIY pool. If you're not already a Go Hunt Insider member, go to gohunt.com forward slash insider, click on the blue join now button, use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a $50 go hunt gear shop gift card you can immediately uh, purchase product with that fifty dollars and make sure that you guys don't miss out on the best western hunting resource out there go hunt insider is an amazing tool Uh, they've got uh, all kinds of harvest statistics draw odds within the insider uh, module as well as they're always giving away hunts and great gear every month to insider members all you have to do is be an insider member to win make sure to use the j scott promo code and you're going to get that 50 dollar uh, gear shop uh, gift card uh, guys i also want to thank kuyu.com uh, uh, jason harrison and his crew uh, for making the best ultralight hunting gear available on the market today. Make sure you go to kuyu.com uh, to keep up with all the latest uh, products and the greatest products out there. You can follow along on their Instagram page at Kuyu Official. Uh, and I just really appreciate Kuyu's support. I want to thank uh, phonescope.com. You can use the JSCOT16 promo code and phonescope. They adapt any phone to any optic, and you can be taking photos and videos immediately. If you use the JSCOT16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Also, the Outdoorsman's, outdoorsmans.com. You can call them at 1-800-291-8065. Use the JSCOT promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount there at the Outdoorsman's. I want to thank those sponsors. I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, this is episode number 403. I can't even believe it. 403 episodes. Uh, I appreciate all the support, the loyal support from you guys, the listeners. It's amazing. Uh, if you want to send me an email, you can do so at jscottoutdoors@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Uh, you can also follow along on my Instagram at jscottoutdoors. Uh, if you're interested in a Gould's turkey hunt, I do have... Uh, Dar and I have a few openings uh, for 2018. We are booking for 2019 as well. Uh, We just attended the National Wild Turkey Federation uh, convention uh, back in Nashville and had a great time back there. Uh, Guys, if I can help you in any way, send me a message, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. I appreciate all your support. Also, if you would, if if you're an avid listener of the podcast, would you please go on iTunes and leave me uh, a rating between one and five and leave me some comments there. That helps our placement on iTunes. And I know you guys, I know there's a bunch of you out there listening um, that have not done so. Would you please do that as a favor to me? That helps us. 
Um, I've only got probably 475 uh, ratings, and I've probably got uh, 10 or 15,000, uh, you know, daily listeners. So uh, I really appreciate your support. You guys make this possible. Uh, let's get right to this episode with Greg Krogh uh, of Mogion Rim Outfitters. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have a friend of the podcast, a friend of mine, Greg Krogh of Mogion Rim Outfitters. Uh, Greg's been on the podcast several times talking about Nevada, talking about Arizona. Uh, this podcast today, I want to talk specifically with Greg about the uh, Nevada guide-only draw uh, for the mule deer hunts coming up. Greg, how you doing? I'm doing good, Jay. How you doing? Good. We've got a deadline. Uh, you can fill us in on all the details, but I want to say it's like March 9th or something like that for this guide-only draw for mule deer. Um, so why don't I let you take it away and tell us when the deadline and kind of how it works and, and how your program works. All right. Yeah, The uh, it's, it's called the non-restricted... Uh, non-resident guided deer draw and what it is is it allows people to apply that are only planning on using an outfitter which is a smaller group and they set aside a certain number of tags for us outfitters that only we are applying against so we're only competing against the other outfitters and their clients on this you have to choose either this draw or the general draw which takes place in april um, typically this one has draw odds between two and four times better the draw odds than the regular draw Still not great draws, but, but considerably better than the regular draw. And the deadline, I believe, is March 9th. It is March 9th. Um, and it's a, uh, they've kind of changed the process. They have a new company that's taken over and doing the draw. So I, I think it's gotten a lot easier this year. They had a few little glitches in the beginning, but it's gotten taken care of now. And uh, it's a much easier process. So how does it work? Um, uh, we'll get into the units and all that stuff, but specifically from the mechanics of if someone wanted to apply, uh, what do they need to do with you? All they need to do is just contact me, either anything, through either social media or my website or email or phone, and then I will send them a link um, with instructions. And basically all it is is they have to, the very first year, um, because this is new, once they do this, they don't have to do that in the future, but they have to, create an account with Endow, which basically just means give them an email address and a password. And uh, so when you log in, I'll send them a link. They log in, click on the sign-up button, and then it'll ask for their, their social security number and date of birth. It'll find their information um, from years past, or you'll create new information in the case of someone who's a first-time applicant. And uh, then it'll ask you to set up an account with an email and a password once you have that. Um, then you just click on the apply for the draw and go from there, and, and then I will send over my password and my guide license number. Okay, perfect. With a list, um, list of the units. Yeah, with a list of the units. Uh, okay, so it sounds in years past when I've applied with you, um, you've had to do a power of attorney. Uh, I've had to fill out multiple pieces of paper. So from what I understand, Greg, uh, it's all done through the computer now, so it's it's gotten very automated and, and electronic, so there's no paper involved? Yeah, they've, they've completely uh, taken out. There are no more paper applications for it. Mm -hmm. So, And then as far as the power of attorney, that's no longer required because they're applying themselves. Um, I don't need a power of attorney anymore, so all I do is just give them 
my password and my guide license number, which they log into, and uh, and then I'm sent something to review it all. Right. So then they're in. They're, they have to choose now whether they apply in this draw or the general draw. They cannot do both. So I would assume if they apply in this in this guided draw with you, and they go and attempt to draw either by you know just by mistake and try and draw, will the computer kick them out? Do you know, or or can it put them in jeopardy of getting in trouble, or how does that work? I think it would kick them out because on the new process. When you pull up it, it tells you which draws your um, for, it tells you which draws are available for you. For example, if uh, I noticed somebody that did a hunt last year forgot to fill out a hunt survey card, so when they went to apply for the draw, the computer looked at their information and it showed what draws they were eligible for, and the deer draw was not in there because they did not turn in their hunter survey court card. Okay, that makes sense, and. Uh, do they also have to purchase a Nevada hunting license? Uh, and then once they purchase that license, then they're free to uh, go through with this application. And then I would assume if they're going to do, you know, elk and sheep and and what have you, other animals, they can still do that portion in the general draw, but they'll have already purchased their license, correct? That is correct. So you purchase your license on this one. You do not have to purchase it in order to apply but if you don't, you don't acquire preference points or bonus points or preference points. So okay. you, you purchase a license, which I believe is $142, and that gets you your bonus point, and it's good for all the other species in the April draw. You can still apply in the April draw, just no longer for deer. And another thing that's gotcha. important to note on this is the guide draw is only for rifle. It is not for archery and muzzleloader hunts. It's okay, just is rifle. that a change from last year? Was it also no. rifle only? No, it's been that way forever. Okay. Okay. Um, that's kind of the mechanics of it. Uh, looking, uh, I'm going to ask you some questions about last year's season. Before I do that, um, looking ahead and looking forward, trying to forecast, you know, drought, precipitation, what have you, uh, how does Nevada look? What are you anticipating? You know, is it going to be an average year? Better than average, below average. What 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 are you seeing out there? You know, Nevada's really. I've been. I really pay a lot of attention to moisture totals in Nevada. I have. Uh, I, I check it daily. You know, and I have several different uh, accounts on my computer where I just click on it. it shows me what they get down to the hundredth of an inch. I've been something I've really followed for the last ten years. And what's kind of funny about Nevada is nothing seems to matter except for April and May rains. And it, it's, you know, we've had years, you know, in the last seven or eight years in Nevada, we've probably been in one of the worst droughts. Where we've been at less than 50% of precipitation on most of those years for the winter. Even the spring has been down, but we've had over 100% in April and then again in May. And we've been, if you look at Nevada in the last six years, just about every record has been broken over there. Um, so the antler growth has been phenomenal. The only year it wasn't, was I believe it would have been probably three or four years ago they had a really bad year. And on that particular year, um, also had a weak winter, just like we've been having. But then they didn't get any rain at all and uh, very little in April and only, uh, I mean, I, I mean not even any measure, nothing measurable whatsoever in May. So the key is April and May. And um, obviously if you get a really wet winter, you're going to at least have an average year, even if, you know, if you have a super wet winter and you don't get the April, May, you're still going to be okay. Um, but to have 
complete optimum growth, in my opinion. It's a mild winter with warm conditions, just like what we have, and then wet spring. So we really won't know on that until April and May. The good thing about Nevada, though, is is if we do get in a really drought situation, and we've had guys do this in the past, we'll allow them to turn their tag back in, which is, you know, with Nevada, you can turn your tag back in and get all your bonus points. Okay, very interesting. Uh, how was the season? Let's talk a little bit about the season last year and some of the bucks that you're, you guys harvested uh, on, on these hunts. Uh, compared to other years, how was it last year? I thought last year was a really, really good year. It wasn't quite as good as the year before. I thought antler growth was great. Um, certain bucks went, it was kind of funny last year. Certain bucks were down. You know, everybody thought last year, because that was the first year we'd had a pretty good winter last year, everybody thought it was going to be off the charts, and it really was. It was good. It just wasn't as good as the year before. And I think the winter maybe lasted a little longer, a little bit colder conditions. So the deer maybe came out of it in not quite as good a shape as they did in the, in the years prior still better it was just the year before was such a banner antler growth year that several bucks actually went down even though they were still great does that make sense um oh yeah in other absolutely words, you know if if we hadn't had the year before everybody would be talking about how great antler growth was last year but the year before right. was so phenomenal that it was just perfect conditions that some bucks that were seven and eight years old actually went down five to ten inches instead of you think yeah. they had gone up but as far as overall I thought it was one of the top three or four years we've had in the last 15 was last year. And uh, archery um, killed a couple of really nice bucks. On the rifle hunts last year was about as good as I can remember it in, in the premium units. So I would say it was very good last year. Greg, if I remember right from our podcast last year, um, it seemed like a couple of the units, the dates might have slid back and you were kind of excited about a couple of those hunts. Um, is my recollection correct, and did those dates pay out to be as good as you thought, or was it kind of a bummer and, and they didn't, it didn't, um, you know, produce like maybe you were thinking? No, the dates went back, and they did. It was, um, I thought, you know, I, I'm not crazy about it, only because it wasn't just us that benefited, everybody benefited from it, you know, and there were some really big bucks that got taken in the last couple of days of the season last year. Um, when that rut kicked in, and I think overall, I kind of prefer they didn't do it like that. Looking back, it was it got a lot of those deer got down in that low country on winter range and started rutting early, and some some really good deer got killed that probably otherwise wouldn't have. So, in other words, uh, you have so much uh, you have a broad net there, and have a bunch of you know prior knowledge from years past that if the dates would have stayed the same, maybe those bucks wouldn't have been as vulnerable. Those dates were better for, for everybody. Um, and, and, you know, not taking anything away from, from anybody else that harvested or guided there or what have you, but you're saying that quite possibly some of those bucks might not have got shot if those dates weren't, weren't um, making those deer as vulnerable. That's kind of what I'm thinking. You know, I mean, there, for, there were four bucks last year that we've hunted for years and haven't been able to kill on the archery hunts, you know, that, that we have a lot of history with, and we've never seen them after the archery season. On, these, there was, on three of the four, we had never seen them after they went hard-horned. And this year, all four of those bucks got killed in the last couple of days of the season down in the low country, rutting does. And, um, gotcha. 
in, in the years past, nobody was seeing them, you know, not just us. Nobody was really seeing them. And then they just kind of showed up and all of them got killed down low. Uh, one of them was, two of them were killed by a buddy of mine. Uh, you know, one, one of my buddies shot one of them and another, not, not through us, just on their own. So I, a lot of, and there were several big bucks that got killed very late. But I think on other years, probably, you know, in, in the three or four years prior to that, when they were mature and roughly the same size, they never had gotten taken. So I, I don't think it's the best thing for the herd, you know, the health of the herd. But, but it was definitely a lot of fun hunting the last three days. There was, we were definitely <laughs> seeing rutting that late, you know. Yeah, for sure. Let's go through, um, let's go through unit by unit, or, or um, I'll kind of let you run, uh, run the show on it as far as uh, go unit by unit or go hunt dates, however you want to break it down, and just talk a little bit about each hunt or each unit and um, what you like, what you don't like, or pros and cons of, of both. Okay. Um, you know, historically we've been putting in uh, 241 to 245 as our number one choice. Um, there's three tags in it, and the dates are, let's see, about October 5th through the 31st are the dates. Um, it's not really a rut hunt. Um, fairly low density of deer, and um, but a much older age class of deer. could be a more difficult hunt just to shoot a deer in, but it's got, it's got some of the best bucks in the state in it. That's always been our number one choice. Um, this year we mixed it up a little bit. We have that as our first on some applicants and second choice on the other. And we did 221 to 223, which goes all the way to November 8th. Um, and last year I think it went to the 9th even. Um, so it goes all the way to November 8th, which is a true rut hunt for Nevada. And we put that because of the dates as our first choice this year on a lot of our applicants. Um, and uh, that's a great hunt. Tons of deer. You're, you know, very glassful, not very physical. And, uh, and the deer are rutting pretty good. Um, our third choice unit is uh, area 131 to 134. And that's another late hunt. Starts around, I believe, the 20th of October and goes through November 5th. Um, but we hunt that last six days of that hunt. Um, last year, there was a lot of rut on that hunt. I think we shot our two, I want to say a 208 buck on that hunt. Um, and uh, it, it was a really, really good rut last year. Um, you see a ton of deer on that hunt as well. You're seeing, oh, on average, probably 100 deer a day, quite a few deer. Um, and then also still seeing some quality deer. Definitely a migration hunt. Then we have the, our fourth and our fifth are more units that are for guys that don't want to play the point game forever, you know, and want to uh, try to draw it. And that's the... Uh, Oh, I'm sorry, our fourth choice is 231, which is still another premium unit, but not quite as hard to draw as those other three because it's got, I think, eight tags. So that makes it a little bit easier to draw. And uh, that's What are the dates on it? Those are October 5th through the 31st, and that was the one we had just been talking about that used to end on around the 28th, and they added three days okay. to the end. And they okay. are going to do that again this year. Um that's also a good one. We had a we had a really good we had a great hunt on there last year on the rifle hunt, and it's you know it's not as good because of the dates as those other three, but it's still a, that was probably our best hunt last year. We did really good on it on the rifle hunt, and um, that one, and then it's probably you know that's probably more like a ten to fifteen percent draw with the guys that have some point you know decent amount of points, and then for our fourth choice our fifth choice we've been doing one of two things we're having some guys 
get rid of the – and I can explain that if they want to get into more detail when they contact me, but the top three choices are all very difficult. So if somebody wants a more aggressive approach, we get rid of one of those three, um, and we'll add a different choice in there, which is 221 to 223, the middle season, which goes from like the 17th till the 31st. And it's considerably easier to draw than those other three and still has a chance at a really good buck. And then our fifth choice is for the kind of guys with lower point totals that want to go on a western hunt where they have a, you know, typically, you know, in the last 10 years, we probably average, you know, I would say in the last 10 years, probably averaging 75% harvest on deer between 170 and 190. Um, And that one is a hunt that takes place October 5th through the 16th. Okay. And that's one that we recommend for guys that, you know, that are getting into the game now. And, you know, and I mean, we put in the first three or four choices. You know, you want to try to get lucky and draw them. But if not, you put in for those. And it's, it's another hunt. It's a migration hunt. You see a ton of deer, lots of action. And you just, you know, hope you get lucky and have a really big one walk by. So that's, so the way it works is you actually get five choices. And you can you, you could draw any one of the five choices, but you want to put your top couple of the really good hunts at the top, right? And then as you go down, yep. you put the lesser. Okay. Exactly. And we only offer six different ones, you know, a total of six hunts, but they only give us five. So depending on how aggressive you want, you know, the 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 the, the, the other hunt I was talking about, the uh, 221 to 223, October 17th through the 31st, and then the October 5th through the 16th, those are the two easier ones to draw. They're still not easy, but they're much they're considerably easier than the other four. So if you want to be more aggressive, we try we'll we'll, re- we'll get rid of one of the top 3 and replace it with one of those. That way you get two chances at units that are more realistic to draw. For sure. Does that that sounds answer? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, speaking about bucks, first of all, how, how many years have you been guiding in Nevada? Give or take um, I think I started there right around, I think it was either 95 or 96, 95 or so 96. over 20 years, over 20 years over there. I, um, you know what? I think it was 95. I think it was 95. So this would be 22 years, 23 years, I guess. Wow. Wow. And what have you seen? I mean, over the years has Nevada mule deer hunting as it remains fairly constant, has it gotten better or has the quality declined? You know, I think the quality has gotten better. The competition has gotten better, too. So, you know, I mean, but the quality of deer, I think, has is, is gotten better over there. Um, but it's, there's a little bit more competition now than there used to be, and it's obviously much harder to draw. Back then, 22 years ago, we'd apply 20 people and draw 19, you know, yeah. and, and it's, you know, it's no longer like that. These draws have gotten really difficult. Um, even those late hunts, we were drawing all of them. You know, it was... We used to be able to put in for that 22 late hunt, and, and uh, you know, the hunt would go till November 8th, and if we applied, you know, four or five people, we'd draw everybody. Um, so it's changed a bunch as been more outfitters entering the pool. And, and uh, so I think the quality of the deer has gone up, but there's also a lot of different competition, you know, hunting the deer. So yeah. I think it's probably... I wanna, go ahead. I want to take just a quick break here uh, from talking about the deer while I've got you on the phone, um, I know you're a big fan of long-range glassing and using, you know, big big binoculars. 
and I believe you've virtually tried every binocular out there. I know you've used, you know, doctors and COAs and, you know, Swarovski, uh, BTX, and, and um, I'm just curious, you know, I've kind of bounced around between, you know, I had the doctor, uh, 40 uh, wide angle, I had the uh, COAs, um, I, I got the twin spotter, Swarovski spotter, you know, with the um, bracket that um, uh, Benny makes up there, Benny Wells, um, Wells Manufacturing in Prescott makes, and um, then I got the BTX, and uh, I'm curious the journey that you've been on and kind of where you're at now, and is it something that you think is, is, is fairly set in stone, or is it constantly changing? Um, and, and where you're at with, you know, what are you using now and what, what do you think is the best for your eyes and why? You know, uh, for the small glass, I'm using all Swarovski. You know, for anything, you know, the 10s and the 15s is all Swarovski. Um, I use the 1556s. And, and then on the bigger They're glass... They're incredible, aren't they? Those 15s they, are I, incredible. I just don't know that there's ever going to be a pair of binoculars as crucial as those. You know, Swarovski 15s yeah, are just incredible. And then on the bigger glass, I'm, I've, uh, I, I used the BTX 95 almost exclusively last year. Um, for at least 90% of the hunts I did last year, I used that BTX 95. And I was extremely happy with it. Um, I, I just, I loved everything about it. You know, obviously the weight, the, um, I really like the angled eyepiece. I have some nerve damage in my neck from years of glassing where I get kind of a pinched nerve in my in my lower neck. And, you know, this is the first year I can remember where I just, it never hurt the entire season, you know, from doing it that way with my chin down instead of, you know, lifting it up. And uh, especially for glassing uphill, a lot of Nevada is glassing uphill from down low to up. So I, I definitely like those. And if I had to pick one binocular that is the best, you know, on the long range, I'd probably say it's that BTX 95, especially for anything from two and a half to three miles on in. I thought the BTXs were unbeatable. Um, for anything that gets out past two and a half to four miles or three to four or five miles, then I do like the Dr. 40 still, just because they're a little bit extra magnification. Um, Greg, the, the Dr. 40s... Um, the ED wide angles? Okay, so those are the newer ones, right? Because I had some that were probably 12, 10 or 12 years ago, or maybe maybe probably 10 years ago. And in the center of the doctors, it was amazing quality, uh, you know, real crisp. And then kind of as you worked around the edges, they weren't near as clear as, say, the Koa's. Um, you know, edge-to-edge -edge clarity. They were, you know, that concave lens. And I'm wondering how are those newer COAs, or excuse me, newer doctors compared to, you know, the old style that we used, you know, 10, 12 years ago? Have they gotten they're quite night, a bit better? They're night, and day, they're night and day better. The old, uh, one of my guides bought my old pair, the ones you're talking about. And, you know, I loved them when I used them, but then I went back to them just to use them one day. I don't even remember why I was using them. I, I couldn't even believe the difference between the two. Um, but again, they're not. There's as far as clarity. There's you know I I want to be clear that the BTX ninety five is it, it's pretty impressive. You know the clarity on it is phenomenal. Um, the the comfort, the eye really everything on it I really like. I only am keeping the Doctor forties because of the really long long range stuff. And there's a few places like Mexico, for example. 
I was just down in Mexico hunting, and there's one glassing knob on our whole ranch, and you're about three, you start seeing deer for the most part at about three and a half miles. Most of the stuff we're glassing it's so far away, and that extra magnification made a huge difference. And um, so for that type of stuff, um, I'll, I'll always keep those around, you know, and, and always use them. I'll, I'll never sell them. But I think 90% of the time, the BTX-95 is going to be in my pack. Okay, and it's interesting. Um, the, the angled portion of the BTX is actually one of the things that I've just, over time, of using it. I, don't, I wish they made it in a straight but you're saying you've got nerve issues in your neck and actually tilting your, your head down actually is better for you. What do you do? What do you do when you take the BTX and go up on a knob and glassing down? How, how do you handle glassing down with an angled eyepiece? Well, I'll tell you, the one thing I've noticed is, and I, you know, I thought that was going to be a huge issue, just like with the, you know, like the COAS, for example, I thought it would be an issue back then. And, you know, if you really stop and think about it, most of our long-range stuff is if you get up on a knob, you're really not looking right down below you with your 15. I mean, with your 40s or with your 35s or whatever. You're real big glass right below you. You're more looking out there a little ways. You know, by the time it gets out there over, like I don't use, I use my 15s for anything inside of a mile. You know, right, I, right, I never right. glass with anything that's within a mile. So no matter how big a knob I'm on, if I'm looking a mile out, I'm not really looking straight down, you know? And Okay, that so makes sense. So I haven't really noticed, you know, like when I got a pair the first time, for example, exactly what you're talking about, I used to, my buddy had one, and I, I told him I, I made fun of it, you know, and I was giving him a hard time about, at the time it was the Koas, and so I set him up and said, yeah, this is really comfortable, and I was kind of, you know, mocking him, and he was standing next to me, and I was kind of pointing straight down. He said, well, why in the world would you be using your Koas right there? That's 800 yards away. You know, when he yeah. said it, I thought, well, yeah, you're right. Well, I really wouldn't be. And he said, where's the first place you'd be using them at? I said, right out about there in those hills. And so he set it up, and I looked at it, and it was completely comfortable, you know, at that, you know, at that angle. So for me, it's, you know, several people that I know don't like the angle, and so it's just I think it's a personal preference. And to be honest with you, what I like about them is just because of my personal neck issues. You know, I... Nevada is a lot of glassing uphill, and the Dr. 40s are a long binocular. So you really kind of, when you set them up on a tripod, you're always trying to get them as low as you can so they're more stable. And then I kind of tended to sit in it, you know, sit down, and then I'd get my chin and then kind of tilt my chin up and look up. And it would create this, you know, if you picture lifting your chin up, you know, it, it creates this. Crick in your neck, your neck, yeah. And yeah. I did that for probably, I started using those, Oh, I bet I had them 25, you know, the first pair that, I think it was the first pair that ever came into the country we ordered. Me and Randy Ulmer both ordered a pair years and years ago. And so, I mean, it had to have been 20 years ago. Um, yeah. And so using those things for years like that, it really just developed the problem to where, I mean, I'd have, I, I was having to take, you know, uh, anti-inflammatories at night, just some nights just to get to sleep, it would get so flared up. And when I switched to the angle, I mean, it was instantaneous. It went away. I mean, I just, I no longer have issues using that angle. And, like, when I went to Mexico this year, I was only down there for a week or eight days. And, I mean, by the end of the eight days when I was using a lot of my doctors, I mean, I noticed a huge difference in how my neck was already hurting me again. So, <laughs> I, for me personally, that's why I, I, I do like that angle eyepiece. And, you know, the that 
Swarovski's glass, I just think, is better than anybody's out there, period. And I think they I knocked agree. it out of the park with that 95. I, you know, um, if there was one thing I would wish, I wish it was a 40 power. But that would be yeah. the only thing I would change on it, really. Yeah, I mean, I could see having a 40 power and having potentially a variable where, you know, it wasn't a fixed 35 where, you know, you could, it could, it could go from, say, 20 to, to 40 would be awesome. And it wouldn't surprise me if someday they, you know, they made a variable. Um, yeah. But phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, Swarovski, I, I, every, everything I have is Swarovski. And I just, I think that I think that they're the best and that's why I use them. Um, well, good. I, it was good to get your take on that. Back to the deer. So you've gone through the units. Um, you've gone through the mechanics of, of how it will work. People just need to contact you. Uh, let's talk a little bit about deer. Um, and, you know, on these hunts, I mean, it's, it's it, on every one of these hunts you mentioned, a 200-inch deer is possible, right? I mean, it's possible. Yeah, even the fifth choice unit, um, even that fifth choice unit has probably as as many 200 inch deer come out of that unit as any unit in the state. You know, it's just you're not hunting the right dates um, to be the optimum. But it's the same unit that's our number one choice. Three, you know, when your hunt ends on the 15th, the hunt that starts two weeks later is probably one in a thousand draws. You know, or one in five hundred. It's right. Um, so it's, it's an extremely good unit. The genetics are awesome, great bucks. You're just not getting to hunt them at the premium time. But, you know, that, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things I've been talking to a lot of guys about on the draw and a lot of clients, we have a lot of people that have a lot of points. And I'm trying to explain to them, as they're, especially as guys are getting older, you know, there's a lot of people by the time they're able to go on a guided hunt, you know, and, and are financially set to where they can do these kind of hunts, they're starting to get older. And then they put in for 20 years, and a lot of guys were calling me saying, you know, I mean, I'm 70 years old. I've got 20 points. You know, what do I do at this point? And I try to explain to guys that, you know, if you're only going to put in for the top two or three units, Nevada's not set up like Arizona where eventually you get to that point where you have to get a tag. You know, and there it's set up to where it just gives you more chances. So if you have 20 points, they square it. You have 400 applications, essentially, you know. Uh, but four other people with 10 also have a total of 400, if that makes sense. So it's still very difficult to draw these tags. And if it's somebody new starting out, I would tell them, you know, I, I mean, obviously put in for those top premium ones and try to draw them, but there's no chance of killing a big buck if you're not in the woods hunting. And if it's a financial thing where you can only go on one trip, then I absolutely agree. Put in and wait and, you know, 25 years from now, go on that one dream hunt. But if it's something that you can afford to do, then I think you're better off, you know, having a more aggressive approach and hunting areas that do have big bucks in them. And, you know, you may or may not find one on your hunt, but you're at least going to be hunting in an area where there are big bucks taken every single year. For sure. Absolutely. Um, what were some of the deer, if you just had, a, had to highlight a couple of deer or what were some of the better deer out of all those hunts last year in Nevada that you guys harvested? You probably, my, my favorite, my funnest hunt and the best hunt and the best deer on the rifle hunt last year that I liked the most was for a, a guy by the name of uh, Louis Polish and he's a really good client of mine and he drew the third choice hunt last year and he and I shot a buck that was around 208 
um, that was just a, it was a great hunt because a lot of it was because of the guy. He's a great guy. Now, if you, you remember we talked last year. His son killed a big deer with us the year before. On um, Both of his sons killed big deer the year before, and he had been, Louie had been wanting to kill a really big deer his whole life, and he killed a really big one on that hunt. And Man, we saw some great bucks on that hunt, and Louie was holding out, and and it's one of those hunts where, you know, it all paid off, and he, he made a great shot, and, and it's just a, it's not just the score. It's one of my favorite-looking bucks. In fact, he's making me a replica of it. I can't wait to get it so I can hang it in my house. I'm actually looking a- at your Instagram. Uh, it's Greg underscore Krogan. That's K-R-O-G-H. Um, yeah. And it looks like on the right main beam, he's kind of got like a crab clawed, like um, I guess it'd be like a G. I don't know, what is that, G4 extra, there? That's an extra, yeah, he's in a, line. He's got a really giant G4. If I remember, they were like 14 inches or something like that. But bladed, too. Amazingly bladed. The the G4s are amazingly bladed on this buck, too. Yeah, it was a, it was a really neat deer. You know, we that was a rut hunt. That was that was one of the few deer. You know, on those rut hunts, you, you're not hunting pre-scouted deer. You're, you know, you're hunting, you're just basically hunting does and, and uh, we saw that buck from probably two miles away, and he was in some thick trees, and, and uh, we just, when we knew he was good. We didn't know he was that good. We knew he was good enough that we were going to shoot him just from the, the one-minute look we got at him, and it was getting late, and so we took off and got over there, and then when we got over there, the does were still there, but we couldn't find him, and uh, we, we laid there for an hour, hour and a half, and could see the five does, and it seemed like it was fairly open, you know? And, I mean, I went up and down that ridge from 20 different angles while he laid there on the gun and never could turn that buck. And I just thought for sure he had moved and gotten out of there. And then all of a sudden he stood up, and I have no idea how he stood up on that hillside without us knowing he was there. And he must have just been behind a stump or something. And he, he got up and walked out into one little tiny opening, and he shot him. And, man, when we walked, we knew, I knew when he got up and took a couple steps, I started seeing all the extras. I knew he had the four giant forks and. And he man, he just made a great shot on him. It was it was pretty neat. Yeah, that's a heck of a deer. I highly encourage the listeners to go check out Greg's Instagram page and check these bucks out. Um, awesome stuff, Greg. I know your time's limited. While I have you on the phone, though, uh, the, the uh, general season draw obviously is, I believe, due in April for Nevada. Um, if you could just talk a little bit about, um, you guys also shoot phenomenal bulls over there. Um, if you could talk a little bit about uh, the elk hunting and the opportunities, um, you know, for elk in Nevada and potentially uh, highlight a couple of the units that you'd like over there. Yeah, the, uh, that draw usually comes out, comes available in late March, and it's usually due uh, between the 15th and the 20th of April. I have The proclamations haven't come out yet, so I'm not sure of the exact dates, but um, and if anybody's interested in that, they can just contact us and tell us to put them on a reminder list, and we'll send them the information when it comes out. But as far as the elk goes, um, we typically do units uh, 221 to 223, 111 to 115, and 231. And we do this for both archery and the, and the rifle. They call it a – on their rifle hunts, we, they're in November. They don't have a true rut tag in any of those units other than the archery. So the rifle hunts, they call it an early hunt and a late hunt, but they're both in November. One starts typically November 6th through the 20th or 6th through the 19th, and the next one is like from the 20th until like December 3rd or 4th, somewhere right in there. And so what we typically do is do the early hunts as our first choice, 
in all three units, you know, right down the line, 221, then 111, you know, and then 231. And then we come back and do the 221 to 223 late hunt as a fourth choice, and then the 111 to 115 uh, late hunt as a fifth choice. And then and we also do the archery hunts in there. Um, they have some phenomenal archery elk hunting if you can draw the tag. Now, Nevada is a bonus point or preference point state, So, but is it possible to draw an elk tag with zero bonus points, or is it just completely highly unlikely? I mean, it's unlikely, but it's not, it's not, um, it's not like um, that. Basically, all that means is if you have one application in there, you have a chance. So right. they don't give they don't give the tags away. Like for example, like Colorado, you can't draw, you know, uh, you can't draw the premium elk unit with one point. You have to have the number of points it requires. There, it's not the case. It's a weighted application system. So if you have twenty points, you know, you have, you know, uh, and they square it, so you'd have four hundred applications for that one tag. Whereas if you had one point, you'd have one, and then the right. next okay. you'd have four and then you know 12 all it just keeps squaring them so yes it's it is truly a system where and that's i think what they what they really pride themselves on is you can you know you can draw it with next to nothing a couple of years ago we had one of our clients with one point draw the hardest deer tag in nevada wow when it comes to go ahead which what no no go ahead um, when it comes to Nevada, I mean, truly you have remarkable elk and mule deer year in and year out, right? Yeah, they have uh, the, the trophy quality over there is very good in both species, yes. Would you say, I mean, the, the elk hunts, it sounds like your, your elk hunts start right after the deer hunt. So in other words, you guys, all your guides transition from mule deer hunting to immediately elk hunting, right? Yep, you're, we're, a lot of those times we're in the unit deer hunting leading right up to the day of the elk hunt. Gotcha. And from a pressure standpoint on those elk hunts, is it lots of people and, you know, every, you know people all over the place, or are they actually pretty high-quality hunts and as far as experience because of limited tags? No, I'd say the experience, it's nothing like, it's nothing like Arizona. You know, I know you're, to give it something that you're familiar with in Arizona and the number of people on late hunts, it's nothing like that. You know, these units are, for example, 111 to 115, and it's five units. Um, and there's, you know, um, on some of these hunts, there's, man, you know, now, now I'm getting stumped. I don't even know how many tags. Let's say there's 100. I'm trying to think. I, I don't have that information right in front of me. I haven't the regs. But even if it's 200 tags, which I don't think it's that many on the late hunt. It's spread out over four units. Very spread out, yeah. Gotcha. And I don't believe it's that many because I think there's only like six or eight non-resident tags, so it's probably more like somewhere around 100 tags on each hunt. And do and, they break you're about the elk? Huge area. Oh, yeah. Do the elk break up as much as they do in Arizona, or do you not have broken antlers near as bad? I don't think it's nearly as bad over there as it, I mean they break up obviously some do but not nearly as bad as over here that well, there's so many cows over there in some of those places that the competition I don't think is nearly as bad you know that there's just so many cows especially like 221 yeah. to 223 um you know um I just I don't see nearly as many broken antlers over there as I do in Arizona like you know like for example in 10 where there's a lot of competition for those cows 
those bulls will get really busted up. Um, 23 is the same way. Those bulls can get really busted up here in Arizona on 23 because the, you know, the bull-to-cow ratio is uh, so low. So I, I think that over there, because of the sheer number of cows, I, I don't think it's nearly as bad. For sure. Well, um, I really appreciate you spending time with us uh, and uh, going over all of this. I know your pr time is precious. I want to encourage the listeners to check out uh, Greg's website. It's Mogion Rim Outfitters. That's M-O-G-O-L-L-O-N-R-I-M Outfitters.com, Mogion Rim Outfitters. Also check out Greg on Instagram. That's Greg underscore Krogh. That's K-R-O-G-H. Is that German? Uh, Norwegian. Norwegian. Gotcha. Uh, how is, uh, off the subject, how is your roping? Have you been able to do much this winter, and how is your health? I know you had an accident and had shoulder issues and had all kinds of, what's your, what's your roping schedules looking like? Oh, it's been fun. I've been, uh, got a new, got a new head horse I got from a good friend of mine, so I've been, I've been going to a bunch of ropings the last couple of weeks. My shoulder feels great. Yeah, last year, in fact, I had that car wreck, and, it just seems like three of the last four years I've just been getting banged up, had surgeries and stuff, but I'm finally 100% healthy, so it feels great. That's awesome. So will you rope pretty much from now until, you know, through summer, or how? How? what's your schedule usually? Yeah, we've been, we've been roping here at the house just about every day. So, you know, we rope uh, just about every day here at the house, and then we go down to drive down to oh, Wickenburg. Last couple weeks we go down to Wickenburg and go into Jackpot, so it's been fun. That's awesome. It looks like uh, you got, go ahead. It looks like you guys um, killed a pretty darn good deer in Mexico as well. You know, Mexico was a lot of fun this year. I got to go down there. I don't I don't guide in Mexico. I go down there with one of my best friends, and we've been going down the last couple of years, and I also got to take my daughter down there this year. And uh, awesome. it was pretty neat. We, we got a tag for her, and she got to shoot her first deer down there. We went down there and shot a coal buck for her. It was like, you know, one of those bucks, it's a wide four-by-three, but kind of had acorns on his points. And so she shot that, and it was, man, it was one of the funnest times ever down there. I hadn't been on the ranch in a couple of years, and I'd forgotten how much I'd missed it. It was a lot of fun. Good for you, and I know you love hunting with your um, with your daughters, and um, that's got to be rewarding that, that they like to do that. Oh, you know, one of them's not really into it, but she likes doing all the other stuff with me, and then the other one's into roping. So it's kind of been a nice, a nice. Uh, it's kind of nice having them into different things, you know. And uh, one sure. of them really enjoys enjoys the hunting, and uh, and so yeah, we've been having a lot of fun. She had an elk tag last year, and uh, she got to get her first deer. And uh, I got in trouble; I forgot to put her in for javelina, so she uh, she got she had to go along and watch everybody else shoot pigs and except for her this weekend so I've got to definitely remember not to do that next year for sure for sure well man thanks for spending time with us uh, uh, encourage uh, guys to um, check you out and uh, I'm gonna put uh, your contact info in the show notes of this podcast and I always appreciate your time uh, and uh, love watching the success and following on your Instagram page and you've been a friend for a long time and Appreciate your friendship and uh, really appreciate your professionalism um, in the guiding world. And um, you've, you've got a great reputation, and, and I'm happy to call you a friend. So um, just thanks for everything, and uh, good luck uh, down the road here. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.